Listener Production. Hi, I'm Veronica Milsom and this is Full Blown Adult, the podcast that helps you find credible information from qualified experts for when it's time to become an adult. Because being an adult can be confusing. Nobody teaches you how to do it. They just expect you to make it up on the fly. Like, you learn to use a Bunsen burner at high school, but you never learn to do your taxes? You're more likely to know how to light up a group certificate in a lab than you are to know how to process it. In this episode, you'll hear from an expert all about doing your taxes. If you do your own tax return, you're more likely to get audited. They're expecting you put the exact amount of dollars on the tax return that your receipts add up to. And when you sign your tax return, you're certifying that's what you've done. Most adults just think about tax time once a year, like around late June, you know, when all those cool corporate firms have cool end of financial year parties. The banter is about hiding profit margins and reconciling budgets, I guess. But I'll admit, I quite like taxes and I think about mine constantly. I'm always on the lookout to buy anything that could be loosely related to work. I'm in the supermarket and I'm like, cereal, yeah, that's a thing I eat to fuel myself at work. Boom, tax write-off. Coffee, the thing I complain about needing all the time at work. Boom, tax write-off. Tissues, the thing I buy when I haven't stolen enough rolls of toilet paper from the office supply cupboard. Boom, 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 tax write-off. Is there a tax auditor listening to this podcast right now? If so, I'm just having a laugh. Please, no more audits. This episode is all about the tantalising topic of taxes. They are a part of life, something we just have to learn to get on with as adults. I like to think of doing your taxes as being a bit like doing your own Brazilian wax. You put it off away too long, it makes it harder and it takes longer, but once it's done, it's a real weight off your vagina. So here to fill you in is full-blown adult expert in the field, Roy Sanderson from RJ Sanderson and Associates. Hello, Roy. How are you? Hello, Veronica. Very well. Great to be with you. Yeah. I mean, you are a broadcast professional. Not only do you have your own firm, you actually also have your own channel. I watched the latest episode. It's great. It's like a panel show. You talk tax, accounting, all sorts of stuff. We love it. It's called RJS TV and we invented it and nobody else is doing it at the moment. It's on social media and we really do enjoy it. Hell yeah. You can just binge the whole thing if you want. It's all there. The genre is tax and if you're into that, get on board. It is tax, but it's also economy and inflation and all sorts of a variety of things, finance, property, super. It's great. Yeah. Let's talk tax because uh, tax returns, they come around every single year and I never know whether I should be doing it myself or if I should be getting an accountant on board. What should I be doing? And I please try to be a little bit objective. Well, put it this way, would you service your own car? Would you change the wiring in your house if you have an electrical problem? Of course you should not do your own tax return. Oh, okay. You should go to somebody who's experienced, a professional, who's got years of study behind him because there's no way you can do or have the same knowledge that person has. Do you do your own? I get one of my team to do it because it's a little bit complex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, why? Because you do tricky things with your tax? Oh, never tricky. No, got to be straight and narrow for an accountant because if you got audited, they'd then go through the whole database. So you've got to be really squeaky clean when you do your own. Okay, so if I was trying to do the craziest thing, like service my own car and do my own tax, what would be the first step? Like where would I go and what would I do? Yeah, well, you jump online and do it through a MyGov account, which is the way people do it. But we've had many dozens of clients who contact us and say, I've lodged my own tax return. I've done it on the MyGov account, but something hasn't worked properly or I've left off donations or I forgot to do this or I pressed the wrong button and they get us to fix it. So we lodge an amendment. 
ah, that sounds like when I go to the hairdresser and I've tried to cut my own fringe, you know? And then I turn up, I'm like, can you fix this? <laughs> They're like, you shouldn't have done it yourself. You shouldn't have tried. Due to past lockdowns, I think we've all experienced that with a hairdresser. <laughs> yeah, although your hair looks pretty easy to do. What is it? Just a quick shave, is it? Yeah, my, my wife gives me a three down one side, a five across the top, and I can get that done every three or four weeks. And the kids only laugh at me for a short time, but then it's all okay. <laughs> so what will an accountant cost me? And like, it, where would I find one? Well, you just Google search an accounting firm in your local suburb or go online. And the cost for a tax return, a basic tax return is about $220. If it's more complex, like you've got a rental property or a small business, then it might be an extra $50. And that's tax deductible on the next tax return. Okay. So why is it worth it though, do you think? It's worth it because an accountant's going to maximise your tax refund. They're going to ask you questions about what you do, how you go about it. An accountant who asks lots of questions is a very good accountant because he's trying to identify your job title and what is normally claimed by a person who has that job title. And is there like a spectrum of good to bad accountants, like shopping centre ones, you know? Should I go with one of those? Oh, no, not really, because they're not really accountants, they're tax consultants who have very little experience. So we tend not to suggest you go to somebody who's just a tax consultant. We would suggest an accounting firm because they've got the education, the background. Yeah. One of the things that I think about all year round, well, I mean, I try not to because it's boring, is the stuff that I could be claiming as an expense. And I'm so dubious about what that is. Are there things that people should be claiming that they're not? First of all, you say it's boring, but when we tell our clients what their refund is, we are the sexiest thing on earth at that point in time. (laughs) So it's not always boring. Sure. What's a tax deduction? It has to link to what your income is. If you're earning an income, then the expense has got to actually relate to what you do as your job. As an example, a receptionist goes out and buys a hammer. She can't claim the hammer as a tax deduction. She's not using it at work. The carpenter, of course, he can because he's using the hammer at work. So it's just got to relate to what you do. So can the receptionist claim their hair appointment? No, hair uh, beauty is not a tax deduction. They're specifically disallowed, so they can't claim those. But a receptionist, one of the questions we would ask the receptionist is do they ever go out and pick up stationery or mail or banking? So all of a sudden we've got some kilometres. And in lockdown, do you do any work from home? Do you catch up work at home? Like you work a Saturday morning because a boss has put you under the pump, so you've done some typing or something at home, checking emails on weekends. So we get some home office claims. So it's about asking the right questions. What about home office though and you needed a hammer to fix something at home? Uh, Can the receptionist claim the hammer then? No, not (gasps) normally because the hammer is normally going to be mostly private use and not specifically to fix a home desk, which Mm. is the only reason I think you'd buy the hammer. So, okay, what about as an actor? Because I must admit, I think I have been claiming my hair appointments. You can if it's a hair appointment specifically for an acting job, Um, clothing that's specific to the type of work you do. So, yeah, there's a few things there you can claim. So clothes that you'd be wearing for your job, for example, me chatting to you right now, I'm wearing a delightful pink sweater. Do you like it, Roy? Love it. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. So do I get to claim clothes? No, because there's no logo on it. That needs to have a logo on it. It's got to be one of two things, logos or protective. So with no logo, even if you worked for a clothing label and in the employment contract says you must wear our clothing, the courts have held that that's not a tax deduction. It has to have a logo on it. 
And if it's got a logo on it, you can claim the purchase cost of it and the laundry of that work clothing. Really? So a lot, a lot of tradesmen, their clothing is protected and it might be high-vis, so they get to claim laundry and the purchase of those clothing. Wow. So it's worth if you work anywhere just trying to make it a uniform somehow. It is, and there's a, there's a process to have uniforms registered if they're specific. Because remember the old days, Maya had black and white. Mm-hmm. If you worked at Maya, you actually had to wear black and white. Yeah. And there was a period when that was tax deductible because it was classed as distinctive. Eventually that changed and they can't claim that because you can wear that, that clothing anywhere. Gosh, i got to make a full-blown adult matching tracksuit or something. That will work, mm. and especially in pink would be awesome. So what are some things that people don't often think to claim but should? Yeah, there's a few that get left out that we have to pull out of people. One is donations. It's easy to make donations and forget to keep the receipts or even forget about it when you come to do your tax return. But it must be a registered charity and it must not be a GoFundMe page. Although they might be a good cause, they're not tax deductions. Teachers often do kilometres because they have to go to PD days or professional development days. Or even we talked about receptionists can claim kilometres and stationery and things like that. And one that maybe is left out a lot is income protection. If you have income protection insurance and it's paid for out of your pocket, not your self-managed super fund or super fund, then you need to claim that as well. So claiming kilometres though, you need to keep a diary, don't you? A piece of paper, diary or a logbook. So it might Mm. be... You might know that you go to do the banking every Thursday. You just add it up and say, every Thursday I went to the bank for, you know, 48 weeks, allowing for holidays, and it was this number of kilometres. But if it's odd sods, then yes, up to 5,000 kilometres, just list out the trips that you do that are work-related. Do you see often that people try to claim things as expenses that they wouldn't be entitled to? Yeah, I can give you an example of uh, a client came in and wanted to claim a whip. Now... (laughs) Tell me, given we've discussed the expense has to relate to the occupation, what do you think that person did for a living? Well, a whip. some sort of BDSM situation. Uh, maybe a jockey. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know where you went with that. <laughs> okay. A jockey or what if they are a professional whipper? Or a stockman. Like they, yeah. So, so this person was a gardener and he did a lawn mowing round for council gardens. So he had a contract. And he was out on a big ride on mower and I said, so why did you need the whip? And he said, because he'll get up in the morning and there'll be a whole heap of birds on the lawn and he doesn't want to run them over with the lawnmower. What? I said, so what's the whip for? And he said, (laughs) well, he cracks the whip before he starts. All the birds fly away. This is true story. All the birds fly away and now they're safe. And I said, so your lawnmower, is it like a Tesla lawnmower that's silent or electric because the lawnmower is going to, you're going to start the lawnmower up and it's going to scare the birds away. He goes, oh, okay, we better not claim that then. My gosh. But then if he had have done his own tax just online, could he have claimed the whip? Like, I don't understand if there's a process where someone is auditing things that happen online automatically. If you do your own tax return, you're more likely to get audited because oh, the tax office really? established that you go to an accountant, the accountant's not going to claim anything that's silly. If there's borderline, like if he had a really good argument and he didn't and he wouldn't have, not as a landscaper <laughs> or a lawnmower around guy, then the tax office know that we're going to talk the person through the process and what you can and can't claim. Had he done his own tax return, he may have got audited. He may not have as well. So it's a bit of a hit and miss. But if the tax office, they run programs that they call benchmarking. And if his tax deductions are more than what's average, then he's very likely to get audited. Okay. So I've never heard of anyone getting audited, but it's always this like looming threat that you might. What happens if you do get audited and your refunds or whatever don't add up? 
there is a process. Audits are not like they used to be years ago where they come out and sit with you and go through your paperwork. You get a letter. You're asked to send all your receipts into the tax office. They then go through what you put on your tax return and cross-tick that you've got all the receipts that have added up, which means that when you do a tax return and I ask, say, um, say a plumber, how much did you spend on tools for the year? And he says, I spent $500. And I think, that's a bit of a rounded figure. You're sure you've spent exactly $500? He goes, oh, about that. And I'll encourage them to add up your tool receipts because if it's four ninety seven, then put four ninety seven. It's five oh five. Put five oh five. Just don't use rounded figures because that will invite the tax office to come and do an audit. Because they, if you get audited, they're expecting you put the exact amount of dollars on the tax return that your receipts add up to. Yeah. And when you sign your tax return, you're certifying that's what you've done. Yeah, another one, like a way that I've found that's quite easy to track it is the app actually, so that you can upload your receipts as you're going all year round, the ATO app. Do you ever use that one? Yes, know it well, got a number of clients that have used it. And I actually had one last year that was audited and he had used the app and he was able to download all those receipts and the tax office gave him a big tick of approval. So it's, it's worthwhile. So the app is, you just look up ATO, right, in the app store? ATO, tax deduction app, you take a photograph of your receipt, you put it into the box that it relates to and it keeps the receipt, which is very good because receipts these days fade. So that avoids that when the receipt fades. So an electronic copy of them is fantastic. Okay, so what if I've bought something legitimately but I didn't take a photo of the receipt, I've lost the receipt, can I still claim it? Technically, the answer is no, but think a little laterally about the fact that you've lost the receipt. Did you pay cash for it or is it on a credit card or through a bank statement? Do you know who you bought it from? Can you go back and ask for a copy of the receipt or a statement to say that you purchased it? So I would go down that track because no receipt, no claim at the tax office. Okay. So you could just say, oh, here it is on my credit card. You can, but that's not the ideal situation because it might uh, have a name of a business, but it might not show exactly what it related to. So if I'm arriving at my tax accountant's office for the very first time or I'm doing like an online appointment or whatever, what do I need on hand in order to chat with them? You don't need a real lot. We ask in advance for your name, date of birth, tax file number so that we can add you as a client at the ATO portal and that allows us to get your income and uh, some basic information we need about you that you don't need. What we really want from you is what you've spent money on and that's where the questions come in. We'll be asking about, you know, did you, in your case, did you buy headphones at all? Have you bought any recording equipment? Have you travelled to do outside broadcasts or recordings? Have you visited customers for the purpose of um, interviewing them? So we're going to ask these lots of questions. It's really you having the knowledge and those receipts. You're expected to have them if you're asked by the tax office. What's the strangest thing you've seen someone try to um, claim that they haven't been entitled to? Uh, Apart from the whip, we had a a school teacher, primary school teacher, who wanted to claim a fish bowl and some fish. And I asked, how does this relate to teaching? And she goes, well, I, I have it in the class. I take it home on weekends, but I have it in the class and it teaches the children about how to care for fish. It teaches them how to count because yeah. we have different numbers of fish. And I'm going, yes, that sounds good. That's, Apparently, that's legit. I, I think it's legit too. Mm. So I said, yeah, I think we can claim that. And she said, okay, well, the fish pond was about four, five hundred, four hundred and fifty, I think it was. And the exotic fish I bought were three and a half thousand dollars each. And we bought five of them. Oh, it doesn't need to be that expensive, does it, to count them? It doesn't need to be. And I I dug a little and I said, this is just 
you know, really weird that you would spend this much on the classroom. I said, have you ever had other fish? She goes, oh, yes, I've got about six fish ponds and I collect exotic fish. Mm. And I said, well, I just don't think this will fly, partly because the amount is just too high. And I I let her decide and I said, but often when we do tax returns, we can tell from experience what's above benchmark. This was clearly for a teacher above benchmark. I said, I'm 100% sure you're going to get audited and I don't think it'll fly no matter how you position it because it's just outside reasonless on what you spend on fish. You should have been spending, you know, I don't know what a fish, goldfish costs these days, but $50 might have been acceptable, yeah. but not what, three and a half thousand. two bucks or something? I mean, I haven't even looked at them since I was about 12, but... <laughs> yeah, they might have been two bucks way back then, but not now. Okay, so you get audited if it's like more than average, like if it looks like a number that stands out. How do you know what average is? So the tax office used the term benchmarks and it would be fantastic if they would give us what the benchmarks were for every occupation because we would stay below it and make sure that nobody got audited. But the reality is they don't tell us that. So it's more about experience. We look after thousands, you know, I think we've got 35,000 clients around Australia. So we have good experience and from that experience, you know what's normal that you normally see for teachers, every trade, every possible occupation. So benchmarking is what we have in our head, then we know it sticks out. And we can also suggest that if it's going to be abnormal, then let's take out audit insurance before we lodge the tax return. So we give clients that option as well. Yeah, because that's the other thing about accountants is that they don't actually have like accountability for if you do get audited, right? I mean, you can get audit insurance, but like you're going to be the one that gets in trouble. That's correct. When you sign your tax return, you've just certified that you've got all the receipts for what you've claimed. The accountant can be liable if the accountant has advised you incorrectly on a particular item and said you can claim that. That's where the accountant can be liable. There is an audit insurance. For personal tax returns, we don't encourage our clients to take out audit insurance because a personal tax return, the audits don't cost a lot. For our business clients, we actually do recommend they take out audit insurance if the business has some complexities, but otherwise we, we avoid it. So does audit insurance set off any red flags though, do you think? Not really because the tax office don't know if you've got audit insurance, although it is a tax deduction. Oh, they do. So Hmm. it only kicks in once you've got a a tax audit. We register with the audit insurance company. That means our fees as the accountant are paid for by the insurance company rather than by the client. And the, the tax office really wouldn't even know if there's audit insurance taken out. So after I lodge my tax return, what's the window that I could get audited? Is it like 12 months or how long do I know I'm in the clear? Well, at one point it was unlimited time frame. But now it's two years from the moment they issue the assessment notice, from that date. So you have a two-year window that you can get audited unless they believe there's deliberate fraud and then they can go back further. If I get audited, and this is making me sound definitely like I've done something wrong, but I absolutely haven't, Roy, between you and me. Do I get in trouble or do I just have to pay money back? You have to pay the money back. And if you've been irresponsible or what they might call deliberate, you can actually end up with a penalty of double what you have to pay back. So if you're paying back a thousand, potentially there's another two thousand in penalties. Mm. I've rarely seen that charged, and often the penalties are reduced to around about twenty percent of what you have to pay back. Uh, you can go to jail if it's deliberate and systemic, okay. but it's very very rare. Yeah, good um, because it doesn't even relate to me, and that doesn't even matter, or is something that I'm. Um, concerned about. (laughs) Just on teachers, like a lot of people were homeschooling um, their kids and stuff over this lockdown period. Can they claim teaching expenses now? 
They can't. You would think they could because they're homeschooling, but the fact is they're not earning an income to be homeschooling. Oh, that's rubbish. So not even office supplies or anything? Yeah, no, they can't claim anything to do with schooling because as parents, uh, any cost related to our children and their education is not a tax deduction. Mm. Maybe that's why a lot of people have like registered as homeschooling official teachers. It could be. The cost that the student pays, nothing there is a tax deduction, but if the teacher has to buy stationary or teaching aids. And that's that's an occupation that is often teachers forget about things. They go to Spotlight and they buy a couple of little things at Spotlight and Bunnings and odds and sods at Coles. And if they keep those receipts, some teachers have, you know, really high claims for what we call teaching aids. And other teachers go, no, I didn't have anything. And I said, really? She goes, oh, I just don't bother keeping the receipts. Mm. Well, if you keep those receipts, they do add up to a fair bit for teachers. So if I do end up having to owe money to the government, how long do you have to pay it back? Your tax debt is due on the 15th of May each year. So whether you lodge your tax return on the 1st of July or on the 14th of May, you've got to pay your tax bill by the 15th of May. But if you don't have the money to pay that, and often when somebody has to pay tax, there's always a reason, and they usually know it will be the sale of a prop- an investment property where you've got capital gains tax, or they've got a bonus that they knew was undertaxed, or they've sold shares or something like that. If you don't have the money, then you can contact the tax office and ask for a repayment plan, and they are very acceptable to repayment plans. The tax office, the way they deal with um, taxpayers these days is brilliant. It's a lot better than it was 15 or 20 years ago. They're understanding, they've got empathy, and it's quite easy, especially with COVID, it became easier to have payment plans because they were saying yes to just about everything Mm. if you needed time to pay a bill. Oh, that's good. You could also just put off doing your tax return for a while. Like you can put it off for a while, can't you? Oh, you can put it, if you're using a tax agent and don't lodge it yourself, you have until the 15th of May to lodge because the accountant has until the 15th of May. If there's some circumstances preventing you to lodge, you can ask for an extension. But if you fail to lodge a tax return, the tax office penalty has been $1,110. And they have waived that penalty due to COVID. They've announced they're going to bring that back in. So if you have a prior year tax return, go to an accountant and get it up to date. And then you may need to give some excuses as to why you lodged late so you can avoid that penalty. But am I crazy? I feel like sometimes people haven't lodged a tax return for like four years. Or longer. Um, right. Because we, we announced on our RJS TV that the penalty was going to be reintroduced by the tax office, yeah. we had probably a dozen people who had more than 20 years of tax returns to be done. So I've worked from home quite a lot during 2020, 2021. Does this mean I'll have more expenses that I can claim? Yes, it does. Because this year you are allowed to claim up to 80 cents per hour that you work at home. So what the accountant is going to ask, they're going to try and get back to the number of hours for the year. And we will say, how many weeks is it by 40 hours per week to get to the number of hours? And then we get to claim 80 cents per hour. The old rate used to be 52 cents per hour. Let's say you worked all year, 48 weeks at home, Mm -hmm. normal 40-hour week. Your tax deduction is $1,536. That at 80 cents includes internet and includes stationery and any other office costs that you might have had. So sometimes we drop the 80 cents to the rate that excludes all those, to 52 cents, and then we claim the internet, stationery, and any other office costs on top of that. So you should get a bigger refund. We are finding with people working a lot at home, you're definitely getting a bigger refund this year compared to last year. Wow. I wonder what that will mean to the tax department. They'll just make a whole bunch less money, do you think? Um, Possibly, yes, but 
what happens to the refund when you get an extra refund? You go out and spend it. Yeah. You'll go to JB Hi-Fi. You'll go to Coles. You'll go maybe a holiday, possibly around Australia. You're going to spend it. That's what the economy is all about. The more money you get back, the more money you're going to spend. That's good for the economy. It's good for Australia. So it's not a bad thing if the government's giving people bigger refunds. And those work from home costs, do you reckon that'll carry on post-COVID? Yeah, the increase of 80 cents has been announced that it will go through till 30th of June 2023. I don't think that they'll extend it past that, but it really depends on where the economy is at. Okay. So say, for example, if I have a couple of jobs, what's the best way that I can kind of lower the amount of tax that I'm paying on those? So when you get a job, you have to fill out a tax file number declaration form. Top right corner, there's a box that says, do you Mm -hmm. wish to take advantage of the tax-free threshold? On your main job, the one that gives you the most income, tick yes to that. On the other, tick no to it. So they take a little bit of extra tax. If you still think you've got a problem, And the accountant can work that out for you. But if you do, you're allowed to go to any of those employers and ask them to take an extra $10 a week or $20 a week. I mean, $20 a week isn't going to be another $1,000 added to your tax refund. So that's a good method to make sure you don't end up with a tax bill at the end of the year. Okay. And that feels like a good tip. Do you have any other sneaky tips? Pretend we're not on a podcast. What's the greatest trick to a good tax return? I'll give you two. The first one is that a contribution to superannuation is now tax deductible. That only came in a couple of years ago. So you put a bit of extra money into superannuation, up to 27500 including the employer's contribution, and you lodge a form with your super fund called Notice of Intention to Claim, and you claim that on your tax return. So it gives you a bigger refund. Now, depending on where you are in your life cycle, young people might say, I'm too far away from retirement, so that's not my ideal place to put money. And that's fair enough. So the second option is potentially buying an investment property. Now, an investment property can be negative geared, which means the costs are more than the income. But because interest rates are so low, generally they're about break even. So the rent covers a lot of the interest and all the costs. But depending on how old the property is, if it's not too old, you get to claim depreciation because the house, mate, will have carpet, it'll have cupboards, it's going to have bricks and things that we get to claim at a small percentage every year. And that can create negative gearing. So it's giving you a tax refund, but at the same time, you're creating wealth because you've got an asset, a property that increases in value. So if you buy a property for, say, 500000 the chances are in 10 years, or if it's a bit slow, let's say 11 or 12 years, the property has doubled. And you've actually had a property where the income and the expenses are about the same and they don't cost you much to own. So that's where you should put your money, depending on where you are in your life cycle. And if you can afford to buy an investment property, that's what you should look at. I would just make sure that you do go to an accountant. Don't do it yourself and make sure they ask lots of questions. Build up a relationship with your accountant like you do with your doctor or your dentist. Oh gosh, really? Okay. Yeah. So he knows you or she knows you and you know them and they know your occupation and that will maximise your refund. Oh, Roy Sanderson from RJ Sanderson and Associates. Thanks so much for joining me on my quest to become a full-blown adult. Thanks, Veronica. Well, maybe Roy's right. Maybe getting a good tax return really would be sexy. I guess it depends how easily you get turned on. I mean, for me, I imagine no amount of money could make correspondence with a tax officer horny situation, but hey, don't let me yuck your yum. I'm more excited about getting a full-blown adult tracksuit uniform as a write-off. I don't care how it appears out of context. Once I become a fully-fledged grown-up, 
I want the world to know. I'm going to call up my mum and tell her and she'll be happy to know I've finally become a big girl. Full-blown adult, yeah. Next episode on Full-Blown Adult, what does it mean to get married and how do I get a divorce? Not that I want a divorce, uh, of course, if um, Nick, my husband, is listening, which is not even a joke. I mean, I actually just don't want to, oh, whatever. Next episode on Full-Blown Adult. It's a tough conversation, but I, I think it can only do good having those types of conversations early on. That's lawyer Luke Cudmore next episode on Full-Blown Adult. Listener.